Hi, it's Kerr9000 and I'd like to welcome you to the first RGU podcast, the Retro Gamer Unofficial Podcast. To start off this episode, I'd like to ponder a quick question, and that is, why is it always so darn hard to find that one retro game or piece of hardware that you've just told somebody about? You can have your Mega Drive Powerbase converter in its rather sizable box and think you know exactly where it is, but then as soon as you want it, it's about as easy to find as Madeleine McCann. I swear it was right there yesterday, you're sure of it, but now you couldn't even find it if you had the resources of a joint police investigative force with the full power of both the English and Portuguese police forces on your side. I had one of those Chinese knockoff handouts, the kinds that stuffed with all kinds of games with no regard of whether it will actually function correctly or copyright laws for that matter, and I'm sure it was down a gap at the end of my bed, but now, eight years later, I still can't find it. I've searched and searched, I've thrown stuff from one side of the room to the other, and not so much of a sniff of it. I've wrapped my brain, did I perhaps take it to the house of somebody I used to go out with, or did I lend it to a work friend, but nope, I'm certain it never went anywhere, and yet I cannot find it for love nor money. Do I need it? Not at all. I have a Switch, a 3DS, a Vita, a better knockoff console, but the very fact I can't find this thing and I'm certain that I should be able to find it tortures me. Not constantly, not all the time, but it's that sort of low-key worry that keeps returning from the grave like some horror movie monster that just won't die. Games are thankfully something from the past that we can look back on with great fondness, which is a lot easier than TV. I look back to the television of my youth and there's a whole lot of Jimmy Savile, Rolf Harris and Bill Cosby. We all know what Jake the Peg's extra leg was nowadays. I always wanted to go on the hit kids tv show nightmare but now in honesty i'm just scared that if i'd been a contestant i'd now be stricken with terrible flashbacks of being molested in a plastic viking helmet that had exceptionally poor visibility while my friends tried to urge me to run left or right still while making lots of people's nightmares come true jimmy savile does have a connection to the retro gaming scene he made one kid's dream come true to make a home microcomputer video game called super trolley so here i will quickly review it it's shit so now I've set the scene, I'm going to go straight into the topic for the day, and that's how multiplayer has changed. In the golden retro days, multiplayer tended to come down to one of a couple of things. It was either some kind of one-on-one versus mode, whether it was fighting like Street Fighter or racing of some kind, and then your cooperative final fight, Streets of Rage sort of thing. It was being sat on a sofa with either your friends or your family. Nowadays, a lot of online gaming can be described as mass death matches with whole groups of people trying to win which in one way is an amazing thing to witness and to take part in. The only sad thing is that a lot of the time you're playing a game that's plainly aimed at adults, but it's being played by 10-year-old children who are screaming about how they've shagged your mother. I honestly think if I could take this technology back into the past and show my younger self, I would be absolutely blown away by it. In some ways, it's every childhood dream you could ever have come to life. But then, in other ways, I think it's missing some of the magic of the old multiplayer games. As much fun as I might have playing Fortnite or Fall Guys, I can't help but look back fondly on the days of playing the old Bomberman games set around someone's front room or playing Street Fighter 2 or Mario Kart with winner stays on rules and always being forced to use the third party controllers at someone else's house which despite being rubbish gave you a clear excuse for when you lost. If I was in a regular Nintendo controller you'd be dead right now sunshine. We kind of went from this sort of thing to uh, LAN parties. Carrying entire desktop PCs to each other's house or workplace and you'd link them all up to play Doom or Command and Conquer and it wasn't just playing the games it was taking your kit and showing it off 
it inspired you to not only build your computers to be functional, but they were effectively showpieces. You might add a bit of extra light in, some fans in, some LCD panels, because this was, it was like having a car for those of us that couldn't drive. It was not only a computer, it was an expression of yourself. Heck, and there was something technologically cool about it. I even remember making my own mini LAN network of about five out-of-date computers in a semicircle to play Quake or Doom on them just to see if it could be done. And it was just an awesome bit of fun. Then with the PlayStation 1, we had the link cable and you'd take your PlayStation around somebody's house and basically set two machines up back to back so you could play Doom against each other. The modern online multiplayer games, they might have taken out some of the hassle of having to carry large computers or consoles around from house to house and they also offer you an opportunity we didn't have back then which was to play instantaneously with complete strangers whether that's a good or bad thing but these games nowadays are also always trying to shake you for every last penny you have a 10 year old me would probably have been over the moon at the prospect of being able to get Darth Vader or Spider-Man into a game that wasn't set in their universe so I can see how exciting the whole prospect of selling skins for games is I have even been guilty as an adult of buying a few myself but in the long run is it really a good thing sure I might be able to limit myself and not go too crazy but how many people are struggling with either their own desire to own every possible skin or their kids desire to spend 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 I mean as an adult I can wait till things are on sale I can use different sites to try and get a bargain but if you're looking to kids they just want that spider-man skin now they want to be venom yesterday they want it and you have to constantly play the bad guy and explain why they can't have everything. Still, I suppose I can't gloss over the sins of the past. It wasn't always a case of pay your £40 and never have to pay again. Street Fighter 2 managed to spin out update after update. And in order to experience these updates, you'd have to buy the whole game again to get a couple of extra characters and a couple of extra stages. Maybe the truth is that there's always been businessmen out there after your hard-earned money trying to manipulate kids into begging their parents for more and more. And maybe I'm just a sad old man who looks back on a lot of retro stuff and sees it as the glory days. And as a retro gamer and a collector, the thing is there is absolutely nothing stopping me from doing some of this old school multiplayer gaming. Nothing stopping me from slinging my Mega Drive in a bag and taking it to my brother's house and playing Streets of Rage 2. I could do that tomorrow. Nothing is actually in my way. So, maybe it's best living in the modern times. Maybe it's best being where we are now. Because I could still take my PC to my friend's house. I could still take my Mega Drive out. But then you can do things like link up 3DSs to swap Pokemon. And you can jump on the internet and play Fortnite. So, in a way, we've got the best of every possibility. And you can take and leave what you want. If you don't want to buy season passes and you don't want to buy skins, don't do it. It exists and we stand at a point where we have years and years of classic old games to play on and multiplay on. And there's also a constant stream of stuff coming out now. So you can't be too sour on the current state of affairs. You know, one of the advantages of working on a retro game-based podcast is pretty much all of the content is based on talking about old stuff. 
so it's hard to miss a deadline. Pac-Man was old as the hills yesterday, and it will still be as old as shit tomorrow, which gives me a little bit of flexibility. I was thinking of reviewing a game for this debut podcast, but then I thought, how about I instead do something a bit weirder and review a year? Which year? 1996. Why? Because it was the year the last film that I watched was released. The film I'm talking about is Scream. It was released in December of 1996. It was based on a screenplay by screenwriter Kevin Williamson and directed by Wes Craven, creator of the A Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Scream was something new and different. It featured a cast of characters who were very aware of the cliches of the horror film. The film focuses on teenager Sydney Prescott as she comes under attack from a mysterious character dubbed Ghostface while dealing with the anniversary of her mother's murder. The film went on to be a financial success and received considerable critical acclaim. It is credited with revitalising the horror genre in the mid-90s and once again made Wes Craven a much-loved horror icon. It was also the year that Beavis and Butthead do America came to cinema. So... Uh, I like guessed that it was um uh, like a pretty cool year for uh, films and stuff. Uh, yeah. In the news, it was the year that Prince Charles and Diana divorced, so not a good year for sanity. Who would divorce her so they could marry a horse later on? In the world of music, 1996 was the year that the Spice Girls released their debut single, Wannabe, in the United Kingdom. And Wannabe entered the UK charts at number 3, before moving up to number 1 and staying there for 7 weeks. The song proved to be a global hit, hitting number 1 in 37 countries. Well, what about toys? Well, Tickle Me Elmo was the hottest children's toy of the year, based on the character from Sesame Street. The toy retailed for around 29 American dollars, but was being resold by scalpers for up to one and a half thousand American dollars, and I bet you thought it was bad when people were selling PS5s for £900. Scalping has always been around. Okay, so on to the most important bit, on to the world of games. Well, the Nintendo 64, aka the N64, the successor to the Super Nintendo Entertainment System, was released in Japan and North America. It was the last major home console to use cartridges as its primary storage format. Well, at least until the Nintendo Switch came along. The N64 launched with two games, one of which was Super Mario 64, a 3D platform game developed by Nintendo Entertainment Analysis and Development. It was the first Super Mario game to feature 3D gameplay and was pretty much a world-changing game. A game lots of future games would go on to both be inspired by and compared to. It wasn't just Nintendo that had great stuff coming out though, it was also the year of Resident Evil and Tekken 2 on the PlayStation. On the Sega Saturn, there was Fighters Megamix and Knights into Dreams. And the lucky people in Japan got Pokemon on the Nintendo Game Boy. This was the first time that anybody got a Pokemon game. And unfortunately, us guys and gals in the rest of the world would have to wait about two years to join in the fun. In this year, PC users got to enjoy Quake, Command & Conquer Red Alert and Duke Nukem 3D. This is not every game that came out this year, but it gives a good taste of what kind of year it was, and in my opinion it was a brilliant year, and I'm not quite sure which platform had it best. It was certainly a great year for people who had access to multiple platforms. So whether you were questioning how you would survive if you were in a horror film, what platform you should be gaming on, or in the words of Eminem, which spy school you wanted to impregnate, I'd say all in all it was a pretty awesome year, and I would give it a 9 out of 10. Well... 
Ladies and gentlemen, this brings me to the end of the Retro Gamer Unofficial Podcast. I hope you've enjoyed this debut podcast, and that I hope you'll join me for the second episode, and many more in the future, hopefully. I also hope that you'll join me on the Retro Gamer Unofficial Forum, which can be found at retrogamerunofficial.freeforums.net. Brilliant place full of great people. Why don't you sign up and uh, join in all the conversations? Also, you can find my various YouTube videos, including a great little series I've started on Master System Arcade Conversions, over on YouTube, if you look up my name, Kerr9000. K-E-R-R-9000, in numbers. Okay, thank you very much for joining me. I hope you have a great evening. And until next time, keep on gaming and take care of yourselves. Laters, taters.